got it. Um, Allison, we met one time. You might vaguely remember it. Uh, I I was invited by a mutual friend of ours to just to a meetup, a gathering, and we met like on our way out of the event. And I was like, oh, do you have a website? And you were like, yeah, it's this. And I typed it in to make sure I had it. And I ordered your book and I've read your book. And I was, I've been like looking forward to talking more with you for several months, but um, work, kids, school, et cetera, et cetera. I never got around to it. And I was like, I'm going to invite Allison to talk on our podcast. And that will at least be one conversation in real life. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I love I'm it. I'm so happy you joined us today. Um, Allison, I'm a sociologist. I work in research administration. That's where I've spent my um, career, but I'm also a dancer and you know, yogi. And so when I found out what you do, which I'll give you an opportunity to talk more about, um, I was super interested to learn more. Um, and my sister is a physician's assistant and uh, was in private practice now is uh, working with a hospital in Northern California. Rachel, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Oh, you're on mute. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Allison. Nice to meet you. I'm Rachel. Um, I work in primary care. So my role is kind of like a general practice provider. Um, and I've been in practice 10 years and I was a nurse in ICU and ER prior to that. So kind of a long medical history. And I work in the Western medical model, uh, which is, you know, a little bit limited. We see three to four patients an hour and manage things like diabetes, hypertension, um, a lot of diseases. I worked in internal medicine. So usually my patients have two or three things that are going on. Uh, but recently I went to part-time and have been looking for more interesting ways to kind of augment my practice. And so Jen and I have started this uh, podcast where we interview people that have to do with health and wellness. And we've been learning a lot, which has helped me uh, as a person and also as a clinician, it's helped me to help my patients and also given me an avenue for uh, just interest because I was getting a little bit um, doing the same thing in private practice, which I love, just want to do something a little different. So that's kind of what sparked this. And so, um, yeah, we're really excited to learn a little bit about you and what you do. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This thank is, you. It looks backward <laughs> on the screen, but this is Allison's book. Somehow, maybe we'll fix that or we'll talk about it more, but um, it's a great book. It we'll looks, it looks, that. it looks totally normal from my end. I can, oh, yeah, good. Not look good looks, yeah, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Allison, tell us who you are, what you do. All right. Yeah. First of all, thank you so much again uh, for inviting me. This is, is such a pleasure to talk about this. I'm always just delighted anytime I get invited to talk about the book and, and what I've experienced in my wellness journey and teaching other people. And so mine really started uh, when I was an athlete. I was an athlete, a gymnast from about the age of uh, competitively for, from the age of six to about 21. I did gymnastics in college as well. So most of my youth, I was an athlete. And so I really did learn how to master uh, the mindset in the body aspect uh, to a certain extent uh, when I was younger. And, and then when I got older and I, after I had kids, I started to explore even deeper uh, 
aspects of health because I found myself with uh, certain health issues that were cropping up with digestion and uh, my body just, I felt like I could not, I didn't have a handle on it like I did with as an athlete after I had kids, it changed tremendously. And, uh, and I just kind of found myself not knowing what to do, searching out you know, asking doctors, they didn't really have any, any advice that was helpful at that time. And so I felt like, you know, I, I, I needed to, to search further for answers. And so I stumbled across a book called how to eat, move and be healthy by Paul check. And it literally changed my perception of health and how I was, how I was, uh, you know, seeing it as an athlete, it really opened me up to the more holistic view of how our bodies work and how, you know, grounding ourselves with the right food and uh, very clean food, organic was, is what he was talking about in the book. And I, at that time, this was before organic was a big deal and, and people knew a lot about it. It was so foreign and uh, it, but it made complete sense to me because I had never been taught that there was a difference between organic and, and conventional foods and how much of a difference that could make in your body and the healing process there. So uh, I started to dive into that and, and went gluten-free and started doing uh, changing over to our foods and, and local farmers and, and connecting with them when I was, when I was living in Atlanta at the time. And it was amazing how the effect it had on my body, my digestion healed immediately. I started feeling so much more energetic and, uh, you know, I would, as an athlete, I would wake up feeling very sore and it would take me some time to really start to, uh, for my body to wake up for my, you know, I'd start down the stairs, uh, and my feet would hurt, my knees would hurt. And then as I, began changing my food, then I wasn't having these pains anymore. And I thought, oh my God, this is incredible. How, first of all, how simple it is. And then the potential of us really, of our body really healing itself. We just have to give it the tools it needs. So that's where my journey started. It really just started with food because I had like already been. Book, yeah. Like you weren't yeah. really working with anyone at that point in person. Well, yeah. I mean, I was I mean, her at the time, and I was okay. really just teaching people movement and, um, and fitness. And, and it was, it just kind of stopped there. But then I realized, um, you know, with my own journey that there was so much more that people needed to put together at that time. And it was, it was more of a mentality of like, uh, at the time fitness was, you know, I, I can eat what I want and then work out, you know, and it was kind of limiting in that way. And what I realized is that uh, people weren't recovering well because they weren't eating well. And so when I started putting that together, that was a complete game changer. And then after that, soon after, I started uh, exploring the emotional uh, component of all of this and how when we hold emotions in our body, this actually creates restriction physically in the body. It also uh, creates uh, a lot of uh, inflexibility with the choices we make in our life, what we believe we are capable. Oh, did she, Allison, you froze on my end. Can you continually perpetuate through our mind? We lost you for about five seconds there. Sorry. You oh, okay. Out, but 
No problem. Maybe go back five seconds in what you were saying. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. So, um, yeah. So the emotional coaching component is what brought me to helping people move the emotions through the body. Got it. Because what I found was if we hold these emotions, uh, which are, can be limiting beliefs, limiting patterns, things that are passed down from generation to generation, mm-hmm. um, in, in our, you know, what we feel like we're capable of or what, who we think we are, um, can also create inflexibility physically in the body. These, this can also, uh, create that limiting, um, flexibility within your mindset and, you know, what you really will do in your life, what you think, who you think you are, what you think you're capable of, what you will, um, how you'll put yourself out there, how you'll be seen. And so um, I started also taking it one step further and realizing that it's it's all about expression. So uh, this year I've really been tuning into uh, with a group I've been working with from the Finally Thriving book. I'm offering a program that is a companion program to the book. And what I'm finding is uh, we are not allowing ourselves to fully express um, what is going on inside. And so what happens is we, we just kind of close up a little, a little bit each day until we just have nothing. We, we don't really know who we are. We, uh, we don't expose who we really are to other people, which is, is robbing them of the gift that you could give, you know, mm-hmm. with inspiration, with, um, you know, serving someone by be- just being you because that inspires them to be themselves. So, um, you know, it can be many different types of expression, but but all of that just led me to realize that uh, we could be practicing these small, simple practices uh, of coming back home to ourselves every day, uh, and they're so simple, but we just don't do it. We just think about things, but we don't actually implement them. So I wanted to give people an opportunity to learn how to integrate and embody these um, these states of being in their life. And so what I feel like it does is it liberates you to uh, be yourself. And ultimately, that's a true expression of health is when you're allowed to be yourself. Mm-hmm. So you had said that there are things you can do, simple things every day. Can you give an example of what that would be, a practice that you're integrating? Yeah. So um, the way I I go through it in the book, and uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with, I start with it, with the aligning your mind aspect. So the mindset aspect is what I did learn about as an athlete. Um, I learned some of it, but I didn't learn all of it. So there is a discipline within mindset because we, we do have to train our mind to be able to focus on what we really want to create. Um, but we're led to believe that we need to take in everything because we we're get we're getting inundated with so much information, but really it's, it's more important for you to be very discerning between the information you take in and use only what you need to use, or you feel like is necessary Mm. for you. So in order to do that, we have to begin training the mind by just paying attention to what we're saying to ourselves every day. And so I put in a practice of 
just starting to notice how you talk to yourself and the judgment or criticism that goes with that? Mm-hmm. Or are you talking to yourself in a loving, kind way, uh, praising yourself, supporting yourself, and that extends out to the people that you come across? So everything that's happening within you literally is, is what you're going to start to see outside of you. Mm-hmm. So that to me is the very the most important thing to start with, because many of us can't even get quiet enough in our minds to even sit down in a meditation practice or start connecting with our bodies or even listening to our intuition. So I feel like that is so important for each person to tune into first. So start to just pay attention to what your default is. Is your default more of a half glass empty or half glass full kind of mindset? And once you establish that, then you can start training your pathways to think more optimistically and to open you up to more potential because everything is a possibility. There's not uh, a certain uh, reality that's only possible. You can really create anything you'd like, but it all starts with you. It all starts with your personal belief system and your perspective. So we do that, we start um, honing into that by really training the mind. And so uh, beyond that, I teach people how to uh, tap into their imagination, which is a real um, a real gift that we all have that we experienced more when we were children, but we can also connect with as adults. Although, you know, when we become adults, we are taught that you must take life seriously. You have to be responsible, which responsibility is a is important. I mean, we we want to be responsible, but sometimes people um, tend to associate responsibility with loyalty or with um, obligation. Uh, maybe doing things they don't really want to do, or doing things because they're good at it, and you know, or, or people ask them to, and so getting, getting real clear on that, really getting clear on what, you know, you want to be doing and not just filling your schedule up with busy work, you know, so that you can't really focus on what you really want to focus on. Mm -hmm. So, um, actually opening up to imagination creates, um, more connection with our right and left brain, which is a way of, um, calming the nervous system as well, because then you're getting more comfortable with the unknown because you are really just exploring different possibilities and, and being okay with that, you know? So, and it's, it's, it's a more fun, joyous process to go through when we start to trust uh, our imagination, then we can begin to trust our intuition later down the road. So uh, we, we end up, we, we start with that. We start opening ourselves up with our imagination. And one thing that has been amazing lately that I've noticed is um, this whole thing with the vision board and the vision board, um, you know, gets really a kind of a bad rap from the secret uh, because we have this, we have this uh, expectation around the vision board for directly giving us what we want, kind of like Christmas, like put it on your list and you're going to get it right. <laughs> so I think it's just been misunderstood because it means it may work like that for some people because some people are just major action takers and they just take action and it happens and that's that's a gift, you know. And other people like myself, I I need to. Um, 
be inspired, you know, uh, I, I need to introduce play into my life and, and see the beauty and create space around that for myself. So um, what I've noticed with my students is, is they're creating very unique vision boards, not, not the, the standard vision board. I had one of my students do this um, kind of mandala like, like vision board mm -hmm. with all these words and what she wanted to embody wow. uh, coming into this new way of being, which I thought was so beautiful. And it was something I hadn't thought of yet. So again, her imagination led her to create something like that. And so our, our vision board uh, or a vision board for our life could be something that's a more creative process and just a way to express what needs to be expressed. You know, what kind of desires are you needing to express? And um, so that that's a way of really tapping into that inner creativity to learn what your own unique expression can look like. And, and this can change just depending on where you're at in your life what you're inspired by, you know, so teaching people that there is fluidity within that. And, um, you know, you're, you're creating a structure and then, a, which is a container for that creative, a flow to, mm. to fly there. So, yeah. Were you saying the vision board is the container? Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's a container for your imagination. So it's a way for you to express. And we can use that with many different things. As I go through in the book, you can use voice to do that as well. You can express through voice, which I, I've found is really important for people. Um, what's that? Is that like song? Like writing? It could be song. It could just be a, a vocal toning session. Like I give an example in the book of. Mm -hmm. So what I've experienced personally is, um, you know, sometimes we cringe at the sound of our own voice and that if, you, if you're feeling like that, it may be, uh, there may be deeper aspects of yourself that uh, are need to be revealed there because what that says is that you don't really like listening to yourself, right? So if you don't like listening to yourself, then do you think other people are going to like listening to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have this desire to be listened to or to be heard or to be seen, but yet we're not really doing that for ourselves. So mm -hmm. the vocal toning in a, in a way is a way for you to actually hold space for what your own voice signature sounds like and really honor that. And so really with vocal toning, there's a lot of different forms of it. The one that um, I I have a book is more of a, uh, a shock. Well, there's uh, more spiritual sounds, but you could, I use a lot of just vowel sounds as well. And then I'll play around with the lower tones and, and the higher tones. And, and so again, not even really even saying words, but just getting a sound out can be incredibly healing for your body, uh, both physically, all physically, mentally, and spiritually, because again, when you're also toning that way, you're also changing uh, the frequency um, in your body. So you're in a way, like mm -hmm. if you, for example, if you're going to a sound bowl, sound, uh, a crystal bowl, you know, bath or something, and the frequency of that bowl is changing your body at a cellular level, mm -hmm. you can do the same with your voice. So we have this, huh. we have this already within us this kind of sound healing technique, we're just not using it that way. We're using it in a way to speak um, either, you know, it, it just depends on where you like with it. You know, you could be speaking your truth. You could be 
you know, suppressing your truth or trying to fit in and those kinds of things. But it's, it's really just finding out where you are at there and then then using your voice to empower yourself and, and feeling good about it, feeling good with how you sound, because it's um, even before the words that you speak, you have to really be very comfortable with your own sound, right? That's part of you being with you. So in order for you to experience yourself, I mean, in order for other people to experience you, yeah, it's, it's necessary for you to experience yourself first. Otherwise it's, it's very confusing. So uh, those simple practices really go a long way I've found. Um, and so of course, meditation is wonderful, but many people need some steps to get there. So this is all, these are all tools for creating presence with yourself, which is ultimately where we want to go with it. Mm -hmm. Allison, how do you do that with, or do you, I assume you do, given what you do in your back, how do you do that with movement? Like I've been kind of toying around with, I've been reading your book kind of slowly. I'm a slow reader and I kind of read a few pages and then put it down for a couple of days and read a few pages and put, you know, so yeah, I, I feel yeah. like you've been this little, your book has been a little thread in my life for the last few months. And I Wonderful. sort of toy around with the creativity, um, kind of manifesting that in, in movement and dance. I actually just recently uh, sought out a space uh, to weekly go to, to do kind of a dance lab. Um, and it, this really helped inspire me to do that was to sort of play with movement and use that as a tool to be more present with myself. Um, you know, the normal American and probably the Western world structure for experiencing dance is you know, it's pretty limited to certain spaces and structures and formats. And, you know, I've kind of been inside the dance class format for many years. And I'm like, that's, it's absurd for that to be the only way that I experience this thing that is so key to my joy, my identity. Um, and so I'm kind of trying to break out of that format and play around with it, you know, influenced to some extent by uh, this, I, you know, the, the awareness that I need to bring more creativity into my life, make more space for it in my life and in my consciousness and everything. Um, so I, I'm assuming that you could maybe talk a little bit about using movement in that way, or, um, if that makes any yeah. sense. Oh, totally. Yeah. I can res, I resonate with that so much. And that, that was one of my, topics in the book was sharing my experience of that too, where, you know, I was a gymnast and I also did a lot of dancing, uh, in my early twenties and thirties. And, and I went to tons of dance classes, but, you know, being a gymnast as, as amazing as it was, and as many things that I learned from it, which were very, um, valuable, um, I learned how to mimic other people, you know, so it was just like, I was just really just copying what I saw and I could do it really well, but, it, but really for me to express my own signature moves, I didn't really know how to do that. It, it was, it was so funny. I would be in a dance class and then we'd get to the point where they're like, okay, improvise this part, do whatever you like. And I felt so uncomfortable because I hadn't, really explored that. I was like, oh no, you're not going to tell me what to do. Oh shoot. What am I going to do? This is scaring me right now. So what I, I, I went to, uh, this, this 
feminine surrender retreat, I, I guess about five years ago with this woman, her name's Maddie Moon, and she was holding this retreat. And, you know, she had us um, <clears throat> go in this circle, like form a circle, and she would play different she'd pay song for each person. And she'd have us each go in the middle of the circle. It was all women. And she'd have each woman go in the middle of the circle and dance to the song. And everybody around the circle would have to mimic the person Mm -hmm. in the middle. And uh, so in a way it it was honoring Mm -hmm. that woman's personal movement signature, however she would like to express herself in that moment. And that gave me a whole new perspective on dance because I'd Mm -hmm. been taught, you know, dance is choreographed, you know, and, um, but it doesn't have to be, it can, it really, you know, if you think about how we use dance in, um, human history and, and many cultures still do this, they just, they dance and they feel the energy of the music and they're, they let their body move and take them in that direction with the rhythm. And they're mm-hmm. not thinking about it. They're just letting their lead them in that process. So when I thought about that, I started working on or, or playing around with rather an impromptu dance practice. Mm-hmm. And so I'd put music on and just move my body however it would like to move. Um, what I discovered is I was really afraid of looking silly or stupid when I danced. And uh, I wanted to be a serious dancer. I wanted to be taken seriously. Right. But right. then I discovered I don't really want that, actually. I, I mm-hmm. would rather just be taken sincerely. And mm-hmm. so my ultimate desire is to express myself how I need to in that moment. And however someone uh, receives that, that that's going to, that's just going to be a, I guess, just a a side effect of, of me expressing myself, you know? Um, And so, but the, but what I also realized is if I don't do that, then I'm really uh, sacrificing a large part of who I am if I'm not exposing those parts to other people. So um, many years, you know, I had, you know, gone to dance, you know, when I was younger, I went to dance clubs and I went to, uh, you know, in, in the gym I worked in before all the COVID stuff, you know, we'd have trainers that would just like jump into dance, you know, when a good song came on, I was like, oh my God, I can't, I wish I could do that, you know, and now I can, because I've been practicing it mm. because I've just been practicing what it feels like to be me and how I would like to move. And so it, what I say in the book is, you know, it, it's, it's really through on, on a, on a, an emotional level. It's really us holding ourselves back uh, emotionally from being seen yeah. uh, a little bit each day. And then we're sitting at a desk and then we're not moving. And if we move, we do a little, a, a, you know, a choreographed functional movement r- routine or, or workout or something, right. Or we, or we run or we, you know, or we ride a bike or something, but we're never really called to explore all of those moves that will really help us move those emotions through naturally, Mm. because that's what I believe dance is, has been 
for, for humans is it's a way yeah. to connect with that part of yourself and, and allow the feelings and emotions to move through without attaching to them or identifying with them. So it seems like such a simple practice, but yeah. it's, it's really profound because any fears that you have or shadow that you have around that, around being seen will come up immediately mm -hmm. when you're doing an impromptu dance session. And even more so if you're like filming it and sharing it with a group or sharing it on Instagram or something that even comes up more. So if you're a person that really wants to start putting their self, self, uh, their selves out there more so in the spotlight, um, that is a great practice to begin to do uh, so that you can be uninhibited in your life and just show up as you, because there's really, it's like, once you can do that, once you can do, just show up as you and be free to be you, then nothing really is scary anymore. It's, it's really, there's no fear because you know, there's nothing to fear because you're just showing up as yourself. There's nothing you have to hide. There's no, not nobody you have to be, you know, it's, it's very stressful and anxious to try to be who people want you to be. Right. Yeah. Many of us find ourselves that there and it creates a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So simply by just doing something like a, an impromptu dance practice can bring you closer to yourself and how you'd like to express that. Love that. So I have a question from a medical standpoint. Yeah. While you're working with people uh, in these groups and helping them become a fuller version of themselves through play and exploration, are you finding that maybe medical problems that they have get better? Yeah. Yeah, because because I mean, you know, what I found, <laughs> you know, especially this working with the Institute and Paul Check. What that mm -hmm. really opened me up to was how our emotions play a part in uh, physically manifesting disease in our bodies. You know, uh, Louise Hay also talked about that with many of the books that she wrote, and she correlated a lot of emotions to segments of the spine, as well as health related issues that can manifest from these festering emotions. These emotions we're not allowing to move through, emotions that we're identifying with. Um, and so, yes, I think that it can really be helpful if you allow yourself to play and um, not, not to mention just the, the phys physiological effects of that or that your nervous system calms down, right? And what we're learning from the past couple of years is that it's all about the nervous system. You know, uh, we all had a big nervous system jolt recently. Mm -hmm. And so the big thing people are talking about is calming the nervous system because they're realizing how important that is uh, for, for just getting people out of this fight or flight mode of survival, you know? So um, it is, it's everything really. It's, it's, you know, and again, how, what manifests physically uh, at, from a disease standpoint um, or if you have an injury that doesn't heal, or if you're constantly inflamed, it's simply because you're not allowing yourself to fully rest and recover. And maybe your nervous system is just hyped up all the time. You know, people, you know, nothing against substances. You know, I, I love wine. I, you know, and, but 
if we're constantly not, if we're not giving ourselves space to see what we feel like without those things, then we never really know if we're fully relaxed in our bodies. You know, like, how do you really feel? Are you super tired and you're just not giving yourself the space to rest? You know, are you constantly busy all the time or, you know, also just not allowing yourself to be creative and play in your life can be extremely stressful for most Mm -hmm. people. So I, I think this does really open the door for, for greater healing, um, in a whole new way, because I mean, honestly, in a lot of, with the medical, I, I really do appreciate the medical model and mm-hmm. there's a lot that isn't working with mm-hmm. that. So, you know, I think there, it's time to look at it a different way. So I just want to comment on something that I experience on a regular basis. And that's that many of my patients are sick from food. And when you talk about getting space to see how you feel, a lot of people eat their way through things because food gives you brain chemistry, right? So people will feel stressed or anxious or upset or worried and they'll eat. And usually the foods that they go to are high sugar, high processed. Um, So a lot of times when I'm talking to patients, I'll say, you know, instead of reaching for food next time, what do you like to do? Like, what are your hobbies? Do you knit? Do you paint? Do you listen to music? And I'm shocked how many people say, I don't have any hobbies. And, you know, so then I'll say, well, you know, what do you like to do? Well, I don't really know what I like to do. I like my family. I like my work and that's it. So I kind of struggle with what to give people to replace whatever it is that's kind of keeping them stuck with many, it's food. Um, But probably it's also just stress and emotions. Do you have suggestions of ways to tap into that fun play for people who might not have any established routes like dancing or painting or, you know, exercise, something like a gateway? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's a great question. Yeah. So, yeah, food can be anything can be some a somewhat addiction for people right to detach themselves from what they're really feeling and you know sometimes the feeling is so painful and that's understandable um other times people just haven't give given themselves the opportunity to even explore that i definitely was one of those people and it kind of slapped me the head upside the head and i was like whoa what how can i not like know what I really want? How can I not know what, uh, you know, how to be creative or, or how to express that? That's crazy. But, um, I just think a lot of people aren't taught that that's important. You know, they're, they're just going down the path of what they've been told. And so it is all about perspective change really. And, and with the food, I would say, you know, get to, I mean, we also get to a place with food where we are, eating the right foods, you know, if they're, if they're craving sugars, they just might need like good carbohydrates because they're low in energy. So like really just, uh, training, you know, people how to eat, to optimize their body better. And then beyond that, what are the emotions around it? So I had a woman that I worked with years ago who, um, had a really big problem. She, she ate like really perfectly in, in, in her, you know, 
she was very restrictive. She was a restrictive eater and uh, she ate really clean and she was doing everything, you know, right. But she still had a lot of inflammation in her gut. And we come to find out that it, it was because of her relationship with her, her mother, her stepmother would, um, you know, have criticism of her around her food when she was younger, especially during her developing teenage years. And so because of that, she um, ended up having, uh, you know, she has these feelings of food. Every time she takes the food in, she gets a an inflammatory response because her body is almost rejecting it, you know, because she was told, you know, not to eat certain, you know, not to eat because she'll gain weight. So, um, so again, that's just really diving into the subconscious. It, it, it takes someone who's willing to go there, you know, and really How the easiest through that, did she resolve that? It, yeah. As soon as she, the awareness was brought, to her attention um, there. Um, it, it takes, sometimes it takes layers of awareness for people. Sometimes it's just one time and then it's, it's, it's they're good and they can move forward. But it's, a lot of it is just acknowledging what is, what is happening. And then, um, and then, you know, uh, resolving the trauma. So a lot of times we can just do that by, um, by just writing something out, you know, uh, writing, I call it, I've learned this four-step story process with the Unlifted coaching program, which I included in the book. And it's basically just writing your story out, how you experienced it. And then you go through stages of slowing that down and speaking it. And then then that allows you to actually feel it because sometimes we didn't actually feel the feelings that came up when we experienced that trauma and they're still there and they're waiting to be resolved. So, um, it's, you know, as we say in my industry, you, you, uh, feel it to heal it when we can sometimes feel it and repressing it. And then that in itself is, is the healing process right there. So, um, and really what I mean by that is just allowing that feeling to come through without attaching, judging, or identifying with it. Because if we try to identify with it or attach to it, then we feel, we, we, we identify or attach to the pain around it, right? But if you can just let it move through, like it, it should have in the first place, right? Uh, then that allows you to let go of that. And then you can move on. It's kind of like an animal in the in the wild who uh, is being chased by a predator, and then they they get away and they just shake it off. Their body just shakes, and then they're fine. They're shaking the trauma off. That's interesting. So we can, you know, but as humans, we hold that trauma in years and years and years, and then it manifests as addictions as uh, disease, anxiety, all kinds of things, but it's just because insomnia. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, are you familiar with that book? The body keeps the score. Yes. Yes. I yeah, love that, that book yeah. keeps coming up in, uh, in our podcast. Yeah. And his theories, it sounds like you're using too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was a, definitely, uh, that book influenced me 
heavily when I, you know, read it. I was just like, yeah, this is it. Cause I was experiencing it and I was seeing my clients experience it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it, it, it is amazing what our bodies are capable of. I mean, it, they're capable of keeping us safe. And um, it's also too. what's that? And keeping us sick too. Exactly. But that's because we're doing that. Like our bodies are, are, are serving us, right? They're going to, our bodies are going to do, are going to be directed how we want to direct our bodies. They're here for us. Um, it's it, your body's working for you, not against you. And you're the, you're in charge, right? So if we can start to realize that, yeah, then we can start to really become more of a conscious creator around how our, our body manifests our reality, you know? So, um, and how things from the energetic body, which is what I talk about in the book is just really an extension of your physical body, how that slowly comes down into uh, your body physically. So um, we kind of stop at the physical, we stop there, but we don't realize there's all these other aspects of our body that extend pretty far out. So that's, those are things to really start to dive into uh, for sure. But again, you got to meet someone where they're at. And if just acknowledging, you know, what, what, what is true is, is where you start, then that's where you start. You know, I have a question for you, Allison. Uh, You've been training and coaching for many years. What I'm curious about kind of the pathways people take to find you. Like, do you usually hear from people because they're injured, because they feel stuck, because they heard about you and they're curious? Like, I'm just, uh, I'm just interested in kind of, you know, what do you usually see on your first appointment with someone? Yeah. So I've been doing a holistic fitness and nutritional lifestyle coaching for almost uh, close to 20 years now. And so my practice has really evolved as I've gone through. And now at this point, and, and, you know, to answer your question, Jen, it, it really is people who I, people refer people to me. That's how people find me mostly. Yeah. Uh, and then now, since I've written the book, some people seek my, uh, you know, services through because they've heard me on a podcast or they've read my book. And so what I work with people, I have a real gift at helping people with the body because I've experienced a lot with my own body. And then I can also pick up on what their body needs. So I help them read their own body and learn how to do that. Um, and it really just starts with it, with basic fitness skills. And it, 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 you know, it's not like I'm not pushing people to do like burpees or anything. It, we're really just going in there and saying, okay, well, how, you know, why does your, why does your hip hurt? Let's look at your feet, like your feet functioning underneath you, you know, and how's that related to your hip? Let's start there, you know? So we just kind of hone into what that person is needing specific to their lifestyle. And then we also can dive into the nutrition aspects, how to support their body in the recovery process, and then the emotional components too that that are within that. And so that's what I've been doing one-on-one with many people. And uh, ever since uh, the, you know, the COVID stuff or the pandemic, it's 
I've been helping people with so much more, with a lot more mindset and, and helping them with anxiety. And so sometimes they're not about fitness. Sometimes they're just about people wanting to, to talk and to uh, acknowledge some things and, and to try to explore like why they're feeling this way, you know? So, um, and so it's, it, it gets more into the lifestyle coaching aspect. So then, you know, so that's one of the reasons I, I offered the book because, I mean, the, uh, the coaching program with the, because I saw that there was a need for people to dive deeper into some of these aspects and it went well beyond fitness. Um, although fitness and nutrition are very foundational and we really do need to have those in, in check before, so we can ground ourselves so that we can do all the other work, you know, otherwise it's hard to have a real clear perspective if you don't have a healthy body to start with. So we start there. Um, and then by supporting the body to help us with our perspective so we can explore those deeper aspects. So that's why I offered the program, the 12 week course and coaching program to give people an opportunity and the space to dive deeper into that. Because I was seeing also, as we went back into our regular lives again, uh, the slow, you know, we had a huge slowdown for those couple of years. And then now people are getting back into the hustle of life, sometimes going back into old patterns and realizing that those old patterns are just not working for them. Anymore. And so they're at a loss yeah. what to do next, or they have a deep desire to expand their potential out more, but they just don't know where to start. And so that's what we, that's what we explore in this 12 week coaching course, uh, coaching and course program. Uh, so that was really, now I'm really doing a, something very, a little bit different or, or, uh, I guess not too much different, but a little bit more mindset based and, and spiritual, um, you know, just going through those aspects of the book, we're helping people to align their mind, connect with their body, and then listen to their spirit, just get to know themselves better. Because what I'm finding is, I mean, people know the answer so much better than I could tell them, you know, it's just, you all, everybody knows themselves. Um, they've just forgotten how to know themselves. So, you know, I just teach people how to, how to connect with themselves. And so, um, there to guide everybody and to also, of course, give advice and, and coaching. But really, ultimately, it's it's my it's my intention to help them discover all those answers within themselves because they really do. I mean, I, what I'm seeing now is everybody in my group is it has their own answers. They just they just were hidden, you know. So, um, and when you can start to move a lot of these emo emotional blockages that they restrict us mentally and physically, then that opens up the space for taking in new information, for integrating and embodying a new way of being that you'd like to, you know, uh, and a new way of showing up in the world, which is what I'm finding is people are really craving right now. I'm, I've been finding, I think some of it has to do with the fact that my kids are getting a little bit older and a little bit less dependent, yeah. dependent and everything. Um, but some of it is just kind of this place in middle age where it's like, no, you know what? I'm, I'm my own hero, right? There's, 
this I do have the answers and I've been hearing that for decades right from various yeah we all have right <laughs> but I actually can feel it now yeah in a way that I couldn't feel it I think when I was younger yeah the mid- middle age is like it's a very powerful time I'm I'm seeing too in my own life and how um you can really step into more of your true self at that age because you're just um there's physiological differences, obviously. And there's also, um, you know, again, my kids are also adults. And so I'm able to, you don't to have more room for that. Yeah. Children. I had my kids later, but still, you don't look old enough to have adults. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that so much. <laughs> Well, this is is the conversation I've been wanting to have with you for the last several months. Um, I want to make sure before we wrap up, and of course, Rachel might have more to say, but I want to make sure you have an opportunity to tell everybody how to find you. I I assume um, you maybe offer both in-person and online services. What's your website? What's your social media? All of that, just so people know how to find you if they want to learn more or work with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And this is, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm, I'm truly blessed to be here. Thank you. Uh, and so you can find me at finallythrivingbook.com. I have all the places where you can find my book. It, it's on Amazon, but also in, in many other places too. And um, I have an audiobook that has come out. Uh, I think it came out like in... Say August, maybe. Yeah, August. Mm-hmm. And um, I recorded that with my own voice. So uh, that was cool. not a creative project that I, I dove into. Thank you. Yeah. So, many, yeah. So, I've heard some people say it's good to have both the audio and the book because, like, you will want the book to kind of refer back to because there are a lot of journaling <clears throat> prompts there for sure that you can, that you can, and like you said, Jen, you can just kind of take what you need and then go back to it is really how I intended because, um, you know, I wanted people to take like bite-sized information and, and really try to, you know, absorb it, into it, and then move on to the next thing. It's, you know, some people Mm -hmm. do it like that. I'm more of that kind of person. Other people just take it all in at once. So maybe the audio book would be a good place to start there. If you prefer to listen instead of read. Um, and then with my finally thriving group, we're in the, we're halfway through our, our coaching program right now. And I'm going to be offering another one at the end of January, which is going to be a really good time to truly resolve any issues that you've had this past year, um, and giving people an opportunity to create a whole new way of being a whole new way of looking at their life, um, through the nuance of their perspective, so, um, and, and, you know, a lot, you know, it's also where you are at in your life. If you're ready to take on that creative endeavor of creating your life differently, maybe than you wanted to, uh, before, or maybe you just want to take it to the next level. You know, I have somebody, some people in the class that just want to kind of take their potential further and explore that. And that's really fun too. So again, it's, it is about wellness, but it, it's more of a creative journey through wellness. And so what I'm doing is connecting your inner creativity with your health, which isn't really done so much, you know, so yeah, um, and that's, that kind of, that's sort of what has appealed to me largely is, you know, I feel like I have some pretty good foundational 
practices and, you know, but there's just sort of this, I feel like there, there's another level that I, I just don't quite know how to climb up to or circle into, or I, I was just reading recently in your book about the, you know, the spiraling, not thinking things as sort of a mountain to climb, but more of a kind of going deep and back out again and deep. And um, yeah, I, everyone, I, obviously I recommend getting Allison's book. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we've been trained to think of life linear in a linear way. We're just going kind of reaching, keep going, keep going to the top. And it's life is not like that. It's a circular pattern. And so when we can start to think about that more so as a circular pattern, more of a labyrinth in a way, then we can hold space for mistakes that we're making or things we don't know that we feel like we should know, you know, um, all the things that I saw my clients reflecting back to me as they were going through a process of um, learning more about their own bodies and about their fitness potential. You know, there's so many people who didn't have a fitness background who thought they should know this already. And I'm like, well, I understand that, you know, we all feel like we should know the body we're living in. And at the same time, you haven't actually learned it yet. So provide yourself with the space to do that. And I feel like the circular pattern of going in, you know, uh, releasing what isn't needed, uh, receiving in the middle and then returning out back in the giving and sharing aspect is, is a great pattern to replicate with everything you're learning in your life. If, because then that helps you hold space for so much more. And then you're also loving the process. You're loving yourself. You're loving everyone that's involved and you're able to also extend extend that love out into the world. So I think that's where we're at. I think creativity is really what's going to save us here. It's not going to be a politician. It's going to be ourselves. And uh, it's it's really all about realizing the power within you it's it's big bigger than we ever imagined so this is how we start <laughs> yeah thank you rach do you have anything else or no i've really appreciated everything you shared with us and um definitely trying to embody that i think that a couple of things that you mentioned which you know, a lot of what I do with this podcast is try to learn things to share with my patients, of course, for myself as well. Um, it's hard, though, because a lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to grow. They don't want to go further. They actually like the stuckness. And that, I think, is hard for me. So the phrase, they like it, maybe like, I don't know. I, I comfortable to encounter that Allison. Like, how do you try to. Yeah, that's a great question. That? I, I used to try to impose my values on my clients, you know, and, and say, Hey, you, you should want this for yourself, right? You want this, right? And I, also I would assume that when they came to me for help, this is what they wanted. They wanted the values that I followed myself and it got to be really confusing. It got to be uh, not a fun kind of relationship because then it was, I was really not letting them own their experience of it. And so what I found was the easier way to do it is to help them realize their own values first. So I think that's really start with someone who feels comfortable where they're at 
you know, obviously they're not going to be comfortable too much longer if they've got something physically going on that's ailing them, you know, and so if they get too much into that, they're going to have the motivation to make some changes, right? Um, and that's how everybody is. They don't really do anything, not everybody, but a lot of people don't do anything until it's way further down the line, right? And so um, you can only do so much, Rachel, to help people where they're at. You just meet them where they're at. And if they want to receive it, then they receive it. And But a lot of times I'll just help people acknowledge and realize uh, what they value most first, because no one's going to do anything unless they value it is what I found out. So it, it, and some people don't even know what they value. So even just, even just like getting to know that I would say people don't know, they're just kind of running on other people's values, you know, or what they perceive that to be. And so, and that's a way that we make other people our parent. We don't actually take responsibility for ourselves. So when someone's ready to take full responsibility for themselves and they start to know, get to know their own value system, their own personal values, aside from society or, or, or partnership or family, um, they start to own that. And when you, when you are aware of those values, then you start to live more in integrity. So um, that's where I would start anybody because you can't really convince somebody of, uh, to do anything they don't really want to do, or they don't value is really what it comes down to. So um, yeah, it's just, it's, that's just how it is. You know, they have to be, they have to take ownership. Um, I mean, you can give them guidance, but it's up to them to implement it. So I just had three months off. I took a break from work and I've just started back. And it's interesting because taking that time off and going back in, you know, like when people don't sleep and they just take sleeping pills and I just refill them and the whole visit's about refilling sleeping pills. <laughs> it's just, I'm finding some days I go in, I feel like, am I helping this person or harming them? You know, cause you're just kind of giving them a crutch to keep, I don't know, avoidance of maybe what might help them break through the actual problem and start sleeping on their own. It's just kind of an interesting thing I'm coming up against all of a sudden because I've been out of clinic for a few months. That is really interesting. I, I just saw today, this morning, I saw my friend's post. He's He is a nutrition specialist and he um, was posting about, he's, he's somebody that I learned um a lot of my nutrition from, uh, and he talks a lot about supplements and how we use supplements or medications um, to avoid the behavior change that we need to make in our lives, right? right. It doesn't allow us to make the change. It just right. perpetuates the, the same action over and over again that we that we aren't wanting to face, that we need to change, right? So um, while there is, you know, that is true in the medical industry, I mean, I think um, that's kind of what Protected, you know, to give medication, um, there might be another option of education. You know, maybe there's a, a workshop or a course you can help people with. Here's how you can naturally get better sleep, and you can move them into that. Maybe while they're taking the medication, into the behavior change, and then eventually they don't won't need the medication anymore. You know, so that's an it's a way you could integrate it 
because I don't know that um, they would be, like you said, you, they might not be very um, open. They would just go to somebody else who would give it to them, right? So, yeah, totally. Um, but but it's but it's someone spending the time with the pe- people who are open to learning um, the behavior change that needs to happen for for them to actually not be dependent on the substance anymore. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Another one that I've been struggling with is antidepressants. Oh. I mean, yeah. it, it blows my mind how many people are on antidepressants. Me too. I'm, I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised too by the amount of young people that are on antidepressants depressants as well. And, you know, I do think it's a big problem because the message that sends is that we want to put a Band-Aid on our feelings or our emotions that we need to really feel and move through. And so what that does is it, it just suppresses what just needs to come up naturally. It's kind of like that animal in the wild. If the animal never gets to shake it out, then they're going to be carrying that with them for the rest of their lives. So what's that going to manifest into, right? So the antidepressants is just really kind of a, a way of dissociating yourself. And, and again, I'm not making any judgments for sure. people who yeah. might need that. I mean, there, there might be, there might be people that really need it. You know, I, I'm not a doctor, so, but, um, but from my perspective of, uh, of self-development and, and lifestyle coaching and, and health and those kinds of things, I feel like we do have a natural ability to, to move those emotions through, um, but we just haven't really been taught. So what we've been taught is to take medication and then you'll be okay. Right. Have you seen um, clients get off of antidepressants? I mean, under the guidance of their healthcare practitioners. Yeah, I, I have actually, um, that and, and thyroid medication too. I've, I've seen people, uh, as their health starts to become more vital, as they start to really work on it, then they, they find they don't need the medication anymore. That does happen. And those are, those are great success stories. Um, but again, the person has to be willing to go there, right. And to be open to making that transition. Um, can I say something? Most of the time, Jen, I see people get off antidepressants Yeah. if they started them because of like the death of a spouse or something. Hmm. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. You'll have somebody come in and they're just so overwhelmed with grief right. and they're not functional and they're not right. Yeah, hoping. And so you put them on an antidepressant, usually about six months, and then they move through that grief. And then exactly. Yeah, sometimes that's a great example, Rachel, is that sometimes people just need a little bit of reprieve from feeling that intense pain because it can be intense, you know, and not everybody knows how to move through the five stages of grief, you know, but like you said, that could be a great tool for helping people move through those five stages so that they can resolve it. Um, yeah. Losing somebody, you, you have intense separation anxiety from that. And it's, and it, you know, it's, it's something that can't even be explained, you know, so, or, or unless you've experienced yourself. So yeah, that's a, that's a big feeling. It's a big pain feeling for people. And I can understand why they would escape it. But yes, um, I think, yeah, that could be, that could be a way to use it instead of just, um, you know, using it for 
things like uh, maybe going through. I mean, I think that sometimes we have just anxiety in our everyday life and, and we're getting prescribed anxiety medication for things like that, you know, mm-hmm. not even, I mean, just normal stuff, like normal life stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So with that, like coming back from a break and not being in clinic for a number of months, the other thing that I kind of struggle with is that people come in and they're, they look at me and they say, I'm in pain and the pain could be physical. It could be emotional. And that would be wrapped around, let's say, anxiety or antidepressants and or uh, medications to help with sleep and or pain medications because they're in physical pain. And, you know, they look at me and say, please help me. Give me something to take this pain away. And now more and more, I'm like, "Ah, I don't know if giving you something is helping you. And so you kind of struggle with this maybe they're not there. So meeting someone where they're at, you're meeting them where they're in pain and they're not ready to take the emotional or physical or lifestyle steps to get out of pain. And you know that a medication will ease it quite a bit. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's been a difficult role to see how to fit with the, with these people without harming them. Right. Because you can harm Mm -hmm. them by giving them like crutches to kind of limp them along without having them learn how to walk. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you the thing contextualize is, it that Rach, when you see someone, do you actually say, I want, I do want to help allay your pain, but I want you to understand that here's a, you know, there's a trade-off mm-hmm. here, or mm-hmm. I don't know, how much do you go into that? I do. And it depends on the person. Yeah. And it depends on their history, but when you're in pain, you just want yeah, out of it. Right. And you yeah. know, the alternative is a lot. It's confronting maybe past abuse. It might be getting a divorce. I mean, it could be big yeah. things because a lot of times when people are in there, it's because of the relationship they're in, or it's because of a big trauma that happened. Yeah. And, um, and you just want out of pain and sometimes overcoming those places that you need to go to get out of it is just impossible or your belief is that it's impossible so instead you're like no I don't want to go there (laughs) could you just help me out for a little bit which turns into longer and longer and longer Um, and then you get less and less able to do it yourself I don't know maybe that's not correct but I've been struggling a lot with that in clinic. Yeah. But I mean, your, your experience is valid. I think what you're seeing, you're, you're, you're seeing a different perspective than mm-hmm. most people do see. So, you know, I, I would, one thing I used to do more so because I'd see a lot of people, I used to work with a physical therapy clinic and I'd see a lot of people who were integrating from physical therapy into back into real life. And I was helping them with that. And, Sometimes they would just uh, identify with the injury and think it was going to be forever and they'd never get out of it. And, and being an athlete, I was like, oh, no, it's this is just a part of the process. You know, you're just you're in a, the process of it. You're going to get there, you know, and sometimes it just takes someone helping them along and, and, and teaching them that this is a process. It's not not going to be a static condition that you're going to be in for the rest of your life, you know. And then on the other side of it is, um, 
Like, yes, I think being in pain, it's really hard to do anything, Mm -hmm. especially any kind of self-development when you're in pain, you know, it's just, it's really, it really is essential, I think, to help people get to a place when they're not in, in that pain and they can feel more safe and secure for them to start to do the things that they need to do to then resolve it. But again, I think you're right, Rachel. It's not, it's not really, it's all about timing. It's about where they are in that process. And so maybe the medication in, in, you know, again, also articulating the pain, what kind of pain is it? Is it emotional? Is it physical? You know, what is, what are the physical symptoms feel like? Like What, what kind of pain is it? You know, that's also important to, differentiate because we just say, say pain, but what does that well, mean for that person? You, when you, you say know? that, I can also say a lot of people have no idea because they're not, yeah, yeah. Themselves, right. So yeah. one thing that was kind of interesting, so I've been practicing medicine 10 years now. And originally when I started, it's changed a lot over that 10 years. And in that time, I've seen a few people who came in with these complaints or concerns. And, you know, we did the standard approach And maybe I would see them a lot. Like maybe they were coming in every three months, every six weeks or something. And then I wouldn't see them for a couple of years. And then they'd come in one day and, you know, they were off all their medications and I'd say, Hey, what happened? And very often it was, I got a divorce or Hmm. I went back to school and, or, you know, they did something that was empowering or got them out of that place where they needed so much to cope. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden I was like, wow, this is actually more powerful than the medication, but you can't yeah. force people to see that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there there's, yeah, exactly. There's the, uh, some people are, you know, use the medication or to get to a place where they can take the action step. Some people depend on the medication, you know, after a while and get dependent on it for the feeling, you know, for suppressing that pain. So, Again, yeah, it's an individual thing, but I think uh, most people, I think, want to feel better. Want to take action steps? Yeah, yeah. After you know, once you feel better, then you then you get inspired and motivated to to take that next step. A lot of times, so I think that's where maybe the health think- professional it comes in with the guidance around that as well. Well, sometimes, like you said, it just people just take care of it themselves, you know? So, so they need both of us. They need Absolutely. To see, to see you. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, I always say that you, yeah, I always have a good team because, um, you know, I, I have coaches, I have a support team, you know, I think everybody c- can use a good support team. And especially when you're going through a healing process, it's, it's important to have support and not feel like you have to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, trust me, I tried to do it on my own for years and it was, it was terrible. <laughs> so when I was able to receive the support I needed in my life, it, it, life got so much better. So we just have to realize that we all are, there are people here that are here to support you and help you through this process. And that's all you need to do is ask. So do you have any low cost tools or, um, suggestions like a toolkit for someone who maybe doesn't have any money to spend because most insurance won't pay for coaches or even counseling. And so that's another yeah. huge roadblock. It's like insurance will pay for this medication, 
but insurance is not going to pay for a team of people to help you get better with the counseling and, you know, things that you might need. Do you have any resources that you could suggest? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's always, there's always guidance in books. You know, my book is, is meant yeah, to be a okay. low cost right. uh, tool for those people. At the end of yeah. each chapter, there's like little exercises you can. Yeah. Okay. And then I have uh, things on my website too, like meditations and, um, and exercises they can do that are, that are in the book. And so there's that, you know, you can always just start, uh, you can, you can start take a class, group. a yoga class online or go to a yoga class and just start moving your body. Go take a walk in nature without any distractions. I think, you know, things like that implementing, I, I mean, I hate to keep talking. I don't hate to, but I, my book comes up a lot because this is what, this was the intention I had for the book That's is to great. give people a low cost way of really connecting with themselves, being able to get truly healthy from the inside out. And, uh, so, you, you know, can, there's a lot of things on there. Friends read it with you. And yeah, exactly. That's right. That's I have had some people do book clubs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a great, cause see that the, this is also what I'm learning is that there is so much value in uh, these either women's circles, men's circles, and, mm-hmm. you know, the book can be a tool to, to get that started. And then uh, a frame of discussion for people as well, but really we just need to feel that support and that love and, and just a, a, be it, feel in a place like we are safe and we can receive praise from other people because the world doesn't seem to be like that all the time. And, and rarely do we get that really in our lives. So if we, you know, you can create your own group, you can seek out groups, you know, uh, but yeah, I would say the book club thing is a great I like stuff because yeah, that's, that's I, it's, how it's I intended kind of, it. It's part of my intention. I, I just found a space to rent on Wednesday evenings. And part of the idea is to make it sort of a movement lab, not oh, just yeah. for me to teach a class, but to invite people to come share. And now that we're talking, I'm like thinking I'm, I'm going to bring the book, you know, and like talk about some, cause it's so, so much of the book is about joy, allowing yeah. yourself to have joy in your life and to be playful. And that's something that I'm a Capricorn and I'm, you know, my ancestor, our ancestry is German and like serious, serious productivity, productivity, <laughs> you know, and it's just yeah. like, wait, I have a good sense of humor. I like life. Like I actually find myself having to remember that being human is to feel joy, not once in a while, but as a daily part of our lives. Like it's, yeah, I don't know how in the world I get to adulthood feeling so serious. So, well, I've been trained to do do so much work, (laughs) but somehow that became the default. Right. And I can blame American culture or whatever, but it's, it's just weird to me sometimes that here I am in middle age. And it's like, I have to be reminded on a regular basis that life is fun, you know? So I'm really, yeah. You're in that phase of life. Yeah. I mean, the middle, middle of life is with other people who kind of can see that and who want more of that. And I was thinking, so Allison, I haven't read your book. My sister. Oh yeah. I haven't. So I'm thinking maybe we should do read it together and invite other people to read it with us. And then do a book group chapter by chapter and maybe even like on zoom and talk about it. Uh, one every couple weeks or something. What do you think about that? 
I love that idea. See, look, you inspired us. Yay. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm happy to come in as a guest speaker at some point. I was going to say, you could be a keynote speaker. Maybe halfway through. That would be fun. We could like discuss it. Yeah. I've been telling Rachel, I want to have like a retreat weekend that that's Mm -hmm. like, that's sort of the, the the podcast is kind of in low hanging fruit, but I would really love for us to host a. Yeah. Let's collaborate on that. Yeah. We kind of designed this as a little bit of a lab to start getting ideas going because I was feeling kind of frustrated in my work, not offering enough for people and um, Jen's a sociologist and I'm a medical professional. So we were like, you know, health really is social and medical. And how mm-hmm. can we make this something that can help people? So I feel like this has been a really productive podcast. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you guys for having me again. Uh, fi- you can find my book at finallythrivingbook.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a. I also have a podcast called Integrate Yourself. If you guys want to, um, if anybody listening wants to also hear about some of the health topics I talk about, I go into every from the body to the mind to the metaphysical in that in that podcast as well. And my coaching services are on alisonpillow.com as well. So thanks again for for having me on you too. And um, yeah, I'm happy to collaborate with you all. I'll probably be doing some workshops as well in the future. Great. So Fantastic. yeah, I really want to stay connected. Yeah. Me too, for sure. No Such question. a pleasure to meet you. And thank you so thank much you. for taking yeah, this you. time today to talk with us. Oh, really thank you. Today. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you both. Thanks so much. We're two sisters health. Sorry, I forgot to say that at the beginning. (laughs) And this is Allison Pillow. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, everybody.